0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening.
1: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Colossians 2, 6 through 15. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus your Lord, continue to live in your lives rooted in him and built in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in Christ you have been brought to his fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised in him through your faith in the working of God who raised you from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Uh, my name is Jarrell Carper. I'm the, I've had the joy of being the student pastor here with Antioch for over five years now. And it's an absolute joy and pleasure, and I like you guys. Great. We have the opportunity this morning to jump into God's Word together, hear it, see what it has for our lives. So if you brought your Bible, would you please turn to Colossians 2, uh, verse 6 through 15. We all have stories of times where we started well, but ended poorly. Uh, When I was in fourth grade, I thought that I had to be good at everything. And so as it would follow, I took up the trumpet to join the school band. I'm not very musical at all, if anyone knows that, um, but I felt like I had to, to go play the trumpet because I had to do everything I could to do everything I could. Uh, so I remember um, I took with my dad and my mom, we went and found this trumpet. It wasn't Craigslist at the time, I think it was a newspaper ad, a used to trumpet. We go, my parents drop a couple hundred bucks, buy this trumpet. My dad looks at me and he says, now you will not quit. <laughs> I will not quit. Uh, and so about three months later, I went to my band teacher and said, I quit. And that trumpet sat in our basement on a shelf for a couple of years. I think they convinced my little brother, who's about four and a half years younger, to also try to play the trumpet to make it worth it. Um, and so I remember every time I went down into the basement, saw the trumpet, I remembered how I let my dad down and how I started well, but I ended very poorly. Um, if you have stories about That in your own life, you should share with them uh, on your way home, with whoever you're driving home with. Uh, This is similar to what Paul is doing in the book of Colossians this morning. The first thing we find out about the Colossians when we read this text is that they started really well. Um, Paul says in early in chapter 1 that he has heard from his friend Epaphras that they've received the gospel with faith and love and hope. They understood it, and it's already begun to bear fruit in their lives. If you've been with us as we've journeyed through Colossians, you've recognized, you might remember that Paul is imprisoned. It's about 62 AD. By now, he's spent a lot of time planting churches, pastoring churches, leading and developing leaders, and Paul has started to recognize a pattern. The pattern that he's recognizing is that it's very, very easy for new believers Christians or churches to start well, but then end poorly. And so he hears about the Colossian church, picks up his pen, and he authors this letter to them, urging them to stay firm in their faith, to not waver, um, and to finish well. So we find uh, this theme in uh, verse 6, chapter 2. Read it with me. So then... Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Four weeks ago, uh, we recognized this theme as Pete kicked off the series. Um, We recognized that Paul thanks God for their faith, hope, and love in Christ, but then after that, he immediately prays for strength, for endurance, and for patience. Uh, Two weeks ago, with Evan, as he was preaching, Paul reminds the Colossians of their glorious transformation in Christ, but then immediately exhorts them to continue in the faith, established and firm. And then last week with Nathan, Paul praises them for receiving the good news of Jesus as Gentiles, but then immediately encourages them to grow and press in to maturity. And so you see this pattern arising with the Colossians with kind of the shepherding wisdom of Paul as he looks at new believers and new churches, is this pattern that it's going to be very easy to fall away from the faith. Uh, Paul is familiar with the Greek culture of the Colossian context. He understands the temptations that they're going to have from a spiritual perspective, from a cultural perspective, from just the traditions and ways of the world. And so Paul pens this author to give exhortation and encouragement and warning to them. And I actually think also warning and encouragement uh, to us. So let's look in a little bit um, what Paul begins to say to the Colossians. In verse number seven, verse seven, you can see that Paul offers one option for them to live now that they've began well, the first life path, you could call it, and it looks like this. Someone who is rooted and built up in Christ, who is strengthened in the faith as they were taught, and who is overflowing with thanksgiving. And so there's a posture that you can live, you can receive Christ, and then as you begin to walk, and as you begin to live your life, you can walk and live your life in such a way that these attributes will be uh, will be uh, spoken of you that you are resilient that you are strong and that you are abounding in gratitude. The imagery here is a tree with roots that are embedded deep in the soil that are sucking the nutrients and life and is strong and if a storm comes or the winds or enemies come this tree will remain firm. Likewise the imagery is a building str- with a strong foundation so that as adversaries come, you are rooted and you are strong, and you can stay grounded in the faith. This is obviously the lifestyle that Paul wants them to pursue, and I would think we should pursue. Sounds pretty basic so far. Let's look at what the other life path that Paul is worried that this Colossian church and, and us today might begin to live into. The second path, the second option is that we would be taken captive. We'd be taken captive. In chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and on the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. When Paul says deceptive philosophy, what does he mean? This verse has some personal significance for me. Um, After I graduated high school, I made the very wise and audacious decision to go to Bible college. Um, While there, as most of us did in our undergrad studies, we took a philosophy 101 class or something like that. I remember sharing some of this with some friends uh, and family members from home, and I actually got some pushback on the question is, why would you study philosophy because of this verse, right? Um, The assumption is that what Paul is worried about here is that we would study philosophy at a principle level or that we would think critically about our faith or apply rational thought. Um, But that's not what's going on here. Paul um, has used a variety of words um, in the text so far to kind of talk about this other way of living. He's used words like elemental spirits of the world. Um, He's used words like culture and worldview and philosophy. And so you kind of have this idea that Paul is saying there's another kind of system, there's another way to live that having begun well, you could kind of get drawn into the way of Christ and become rooted and firm or you could be deceived by the worldviews and the philosophies of this world um, which would shipwreck your faith and cause you to, like me, with my trumpet in fourth grade, end Poorly, And so for our purposes today, I want to call these two ways of life not worldviews, but stories or narratives. Is that we are living into a narrative, a story in Christ, or we are living in the narratives um, that are without Christ. One author defines this this way. A narrative is a story that tells us what we should love or despise what is valuable or unimportant, and what is good or evil. All worldviews offer definitions of the fundamental human problem and how we might fix it. So Paul is concerned that these Colossians will be taken captive. The word there could mean robbed by other worldviews, other narratives, and the two words that he uses to describe these opposing worldviews is hollow and deceptive. So, for us today, for the Colossians, Paul is offering two postures to lean into. Will you lean into living the way of Jesus, or will you lean into living these opposing narratives um, that are defined as hollow and deceptive? Let's look at what he means by the word hollow or empty. In his book, Hidden Worldviews, Steve Wilkins lists eight worldviews that can creep into our lives and sabotage our faith today. Here are a few that stood out to me. The first is individualism. Individualism. This word's gotten thrown around quite a bit, but basically the narrative says this, stay autonomous and authentic so that you can have meaning. So that you can have meaning. As I pastor students, um, I recognize uh, the, just the cultural pool that we have in our world today of things like you do you, stay true to yourself, be authentic to what you feel, that's the best path you can take, self-actualization. Um, the, the generation that comes to mind with this is kind of the millennial generation. Sorry, I'm, I think I count as one of those, so I'll jab myself there. And so this sounds familiar, right? The world that that we live in, the atmosphere that we're swimming in, is preaching narratives to us, and we are absorbing them into our lives, and we begin to believe, um, as the definition of the narrative says, what the fundamental human problem is and how we might fix it. The problem is that there are too many people telling me who to be. I need to be my own self according to my feelings so that I can have meaning. The, the promise is meaning. Secondly, um, another worldview that stood out to me was this idea of busyness. Uh, busyness has become a word, or I am busy, a phrase that I hear probably 100 times a day. Anyone with me there? Um, if we were all Boy Scouts, we would have the busy badge. All of us would have the busy badge. <laughs> or a lot of them, you know? You'd have to move up to putting badges on your hat. Uh, and so this is what the busy narrative communicates to us. You must hustle with lots of tasks so that you have purpose and value. Busyness is a badge of honor. Um, I've, I've committed personally to not saying that I'm busy. I might say that I'm stressed or worried. Um, every now and then it slips out, and the thing I do after I say that I'm busy is I tell the person it's because of how important I am. And <laughs> And it's this little reminder that I'm actually not important because I'm busy. It doesn't provide me purpose, it doesn't provide me value. I know I'm the only one here, <laughs> tempted. The third worldview that Steve Wilkins points out that really struck me as our culture today um, is freedom. This worldview says do not be tied down or committed so that you can have joy. One of my favorite reads recently has been Mark Sayers' uh, Reappearing Church where he presents uh, kind of statistics culturally on how much we've bought this idea that freedom should be our highest value and actually what it's actually produced um, in our youngest generations. This idea that if you make commitments, if there are structures that maybe oppress what you wanna do at any moment in your life, that's actually a bad way to live and you you should not do that so that you can have joy. Sounds solid. Uh, the last one that has, I think, can creep into our world today that Steve points out is materialism. This is kind of an easy punt. We all. This is the one we hear about all the time. You should make money and buy more stuff so that you can have security. Um, we are bombarded with marketing uh, and ads on our social media, and uh, just everyone telling us what we should buy what we should own, how much money to make. Have you ever felt less secure because you don't have enough money? Um, I actually made an interesting observation about these, where I feel like I could attach maybe a generational idol to each of these, where I feel like individ- individualism really is the millennials. Um, what did I say for busyness? Is Gen X, I think. Uh, freedom is definitely Gen Z, and materialism is maybe the boomers. Sorry, boomers. Um, I, li- I like you, but you have a lot of stuff. <laughs> Can I use it? Can I borrow that? <laughs> this is great. Let's just do this all day. Here's my question to us, Antioch. This is the question that I think Paul is asking the Colossian church. Do these narratives produce what they promise? No. They leave us hollow and they leave us empty. As we press into the narratives of our culture, we find ourselves feeling more and more hollow, more and more empty. As I pastor students um, who are growing up in this generation different than mine, I'm seeing the ways uh, there's nuance here. Um, And as I press into students who are wrecked with anxiety, depression, something called choice anxiety, Um, Has anyone heard of choice anxiety? Something that comes when you have so much freedom, you don't know what to do. Um, And as well as uh, plenty of other things, feeling lost or unknown, striving for a sense of meaning or community or belonging. As Paul says, these worldviews that are hollow have taken us captive, or another way to say that is that we have been robbed. We have been robbed. Individualism has left us lonely. Busyness has left us exhausted, Freedom has left us without the structures that support health and stabilize us or challenge us to grow. And materialism has left us depressed, unsatisfied, and longing for more. The other word that Paul uses is not just hollow, but deceptive. Nathan's text last week had the phrase, uh, do not be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. What Paul is saying here is that it's not necessarily that we ditch the way of Jesus and say, I am hereby now an individualist, philosophically, Um, but that these worldviews, that these narratives are deceptive, that they creep into our lives without us knowing it. They creep into our faith without us knowing it. They're hidden in in plain sight And doesn't that increase their power? For example, Christian individualism might say, me and Jesus are good. I don't need community, and I don't need the church. Christian busyness. You know who you are, (laughs) you culprits. The harder I work for Jesus, the more he loves me. That's me. Christian freedom I'm cool with Jesus as long as I don't have to make any commitments. And Christian materialism, I hope Jesus gives me a Tacoma. (laughs) Thought I'd get more laughs out of that. (laughs) We find ourselves steeped in a narrative cocktail. As we try to follow the way of Jesus, follow his, uh, his truth and be rooted in him, we find these creepy other narratives coming in and robbing us and sabotaging us of our joy, of our meaning, um, and our purpose. Here's my question for us today. For you, individually, knowing your heart, what pieces of our culture or of our current way of the world are most likely to deceive you, to creep into your faith, and to take you captive? The grass can look greener on the other side. What values of this world do you think you're most vulnerable to? As Paul says to the Colossians, see to it that these opposing narratives do not take you captive or deceive you. So the first thing that I actually feel like Paul is asking us to do um, as Christians today I think he implies it to the Colossians, is to step out of these opposing narratives. Um, What's interesting with this idea of autonomy or individualism is that the assumption is that we actually have control over our own desires while we spend time consuming so much content that is telling us what to love, what to believe, what to value. Um, And so I think we need some type of narrative detox Um, As we approach Lent, it's a great season in the church calendar to step away from some of the things that you might be doing, um, scrolling through Pinterest or Zillow or social media or whatever it is, the conversations you're having. Um, There are voices that have been shaping what you believe. And my encouragement for us today as Antioch, and I think that what Paul would have for the Colossians Church, is to pause. Find a way to remove yourself from the voices of those narratives so that you can find some sense of equilibrium, you can detox from these opposing values um, of our culture. So that's the first part, step away. Secondly, let's look now at Paul's reinforcement or his good news for our faith. Not only is he asking us to step away from our worldly narratives, he's asking us to receive the narrative Of Christ. As we read in the scripture today, I'm actually going to reread this. I just want you to try to absorb uh, this truth. You're going to hear a whole lot of theologically heavy words, um, words that have motifs throughout God's salvation narrative uh, throughout all time. It might be confusing, especially the word circumcision. But I want you to just receive this narrative in opposition to those other ones. Verse 9 For in Christ, All the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God." who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over the cross. So my first question is when you hear that, what did Paul ask you to do? What role did you play in that good news other than simply receiving it? In order to receive Christ, we need to recognize the beautiful news of this gospel that is done for us and to us, um, apart from our own doing. Many of us grew up with this idea of the gospel, meaning how to get saved— Anyone? of uh, The Romans Road, and so to preach the gospel to someone basically means to say, this is how you could believe in Jesus and get saved. Um, it's kind of a mathematical equation about judgment and salvation. Uh, this is not what the word gospel means in the New Testament. Uh, the gospel means to proclaim the good news. The gospel isn't how to get saved. It's the proclamation that in Jesus, you are saved. The strange twist is this. As our world asks us to strive, Jesus invites us to remain strong by receiving. As the world takes and robs from us, Jesus invites us to be rooted and strong by simply receiving the good news of our union in Christ and our salvation. Our new narrative is this. You are filled with the one who has all authority. Your old self with its corrupt desires, has been cut off. Your old self was buried with Christ when you were baptized. You were raised to new life when Christ was raised from the dead. Your trespasses are forgiven. Your debt is canceled. You are united to the one who has disarmed all the false promises of our world. And we are not left with an empty narrative, but a full one. What Paul what Paul's saying over and over again is that Christ is the fullness of God and we are in that fullness. Contrary to these narratives that are deceptive and hollow, the narrative that we have received is true and it is robust and it can fill us in ways that the world can't. And so I think what Paul is asking us to do is to receive this good news and to saturate ourselves in this narrative. What does that look like? One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 1 um, it's a Torah psalm and it talks about this image of a tree that is firmly planted by streams of water um, its roots its roots uh, never have lack of water its branches grow fruit um, and the symbol is someone who is saturated and meditating in god's truth and so um, as we choose how to live once we've began, we can choose to saturate our minds with any narrative we want, individualism or materialism, or we can saturate our minds with the narrative of Jesus. And this looks like meditating on God's word day and night that it might enter into our minds and enter into our hearts. The funny thing is this. I think what Paul is saying is that to continue in the way we received Christ, we must continue to receive Christ. Not only does Paul invite us to step away from earthly principles, to step into the narrative of Christ, he's urging us to receive this Jesus in the context of community. Um, As we read that chunk of text in English, and you read the word you, most of us interpreted that singularly, and while this narrative does apply to our personal salvation and restoration, um, we're dealing here with plural you. And as we all know, the nation of Texas has this down with y'all, a plural you. Or as where I'm from, someone might say yous or usens. So Lancaster County, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> no, you should. There's, there's nice people. Um, and so what's interesting is that Paul is asking us not to receive this good news alone, but to receive it in the context of community. One of the beautiful countercultural aspects of the church is that as we are individually united to Christ, we then become united to one another across age, across gender, across generation and cultural background and preferences and personality types. Everyone in this room is receiving this union with Christ together. Therefore, we are all united to one another, and we need one another to stay in this narrative. One of the worst ways to assess your spiritual vitality is to do it alone, or to do it with people who are just like you. So, Gen Z, you need the boomers. If you're a Gen Z, you get it. What's interesting is also the structure where Paul says, um, that Jesus is the head over every power and authority in verse 10. And at the very end, he says he has disarmed every power and authority. Is that we have this image, is that as much as we could kind of stew in worldly narratives, we are actually united to Jesus who is over and above and who has conquered all of those narratives. I think it's a fascinating um, thing that Paul points out. So Antioch, how can you stay rooted in the narrative of Christ and not be taken captive to other narratives? The first is to step out of the worldly narratives. Find ways for you individually to confront some of the ways that those idols have crept into your life. Ask yourself, are they actually giving me what I hope they give? Uh, we recently had a whole worldview series with our high school students. By the way, our high schools are learning really, really cool stuff. And one of the questions that we brought up um, is that if you were to leave the narrative of Jesus, what narrative would you live into? I think sometimes it can be difficult uh, to stay in, in the way of Jesus, but I wonder, and what other narrative do you want to buy into? Individualism, freedom, materialism. Um, you have to work out the kinks in those systems if you're going to be all in. Secondly, step into the narrative of Christ. Saturate your mind with the true narrative of redemption in Jesus. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Find a way to retreat and rest and fill your soul. And then last is receive this in the context of intergenerational, uh, diverse community. Um, Antioch has actually worked really hard at a leadership level to create paths to mix up uh, the generations. At the end of April every year, our high schoolers eat a taco lunch with the empty nesters and it's fantastic. We pack out the bottom of the church um, and you see high schoolers and our wisest generation dining together, eating God's chosen meal, the taco. <laughs> or a taco salad if you're gluten free, it's an option. Um, and so I, I just wanna have, get personal for a moment and have kind of a confession as I was writing this sermon. It started to sound a lot like the assumption is that that you all out there, my family, uh, my church family, are just, you know, you are just going the way of the world. You're buying these narratives, and, and you need this sharp exhortation or this rebuke. Just get your life in order. Try harder. You can do it. Um, and as I thought about um, the stories of grace that I've heard in the last months and thought about you individually as I prayed through our church directory, I actually see a people that are trying really, really, really hard to live into the narrative of Jesus. And I just want to encourage you with that. How cool is it to be a part of a community that is already doing this? And when I thought about reasons why our faith might become disrupted, I didn't necessarily think that we're just like jumping all into materialism or individualism. Um, If you feel like God is talking to you this morning about that, go figure it out. In community. But I actually think the problem for us, not the problem, but the pain in us is not necessarily that the grass looks greener on the other side. I think it's that sometimes the grass on this side doesn't seem very green. It can be exhausting and it can be tiring to follow the way of Jesus. It can seem like the demands never end, that you might not be good enough. Um, There might be seasons of darkness Dark nights of the soul, or pain, or loss that you're walking through. And it's not so much that you want to jump ship, it's that this ship just kind of feels like it's sinking sometimes. I resonate with this. Um, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 42. Um, it's a lament psalm, and it says, I remember how I used to go into the house of God with shouts of joy and praise, but now my soul is downcast and thirsty. at a personal level, one of the things that I struggle with the most is this. It's coping with my disappointment in God by spending so much time working for God that I forget to spend time with God. I am, Mary, I am Martha, not Mary. I'm the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Um, and there can be a growing bitterness or resentment toward God for not offering you the true life that he promises. And not only have I walked with you, Antioch, in the last couple of months of just seasons of joy and connection and um, wonderful ways you're serving and coming together as a church, I've also walked with you through deep pits of darkness and despair and tears, feelings of being lost. And, and I just couldn't preach a sermon that just told you to stop being materialist and go love Jesus. <laughs> I think there's something deeper that we're longing for. And the way that I found good news in this text for my soul, and I think what I hope for you, is this idea of receiving Jesus. The idea that this text, we are passive recipients to the proclamation of the good news. That this is true of us that we don't need to strive and try and work it out, is that we can step into this narrative and relax and trust that, that the author of creation who created us who rules this world, and we can be a part of him and his narrative. And before you do anything or try harder, I just want you to receive that. Receive the presence of Jesus this morning. And so... The way that I want to try to at least take a stab at that is something unique and um, something that, a way that we're going to end our service today is I wrote a prayer for you um, based on this text in Colossians. And I'm going to pray it over you and I want you to just receive it. Sound good? All right, so what I want you to do is put down your distractions the things in your hand, and I want you to stand up. I want you to open up your palms as a sign of receiving Jesus. You don't have to if it feels awkward, but you know, most of you should. And if you want to close your eyes, you can, but as we wrestle through opposing narratives, I invite you into the true, into the fulfilling narrative of Jesus and receiving him this morning. Receive this prayer, Antioch. Antioch, you are beloved. The creator God has brought you into union with his son. Through this Jesus, the whole world was created, including you. Through this life, Jesus overcame and conquered all the powers and narratives of the world we live in. Antioch, you are so loved. Because you are united to Jesus, your old self that was caught up and captivated by these hollow systems has been removed. Receive true freedom. Because you are united to Jesus, that past was buried in the dirt when Christ was buried. Receive true transformation. Because you are united to Jesus, your new self has been raised to new life when Christ was raised from the dead. Receive abundant joy. Because you are united to Jesus, your debt has been canceled. All of your sins have been forgiven. The ones that no one knows about the ones that assert themselves against your joy, all of that brokenness has been absorbed into Christ, and you are truly 100% forgiven. You are not in debt. You are not outside of God's love. You are not condemned. You are beloved. Receive true value. This Jesus who loves you holds power and authority over all the hollow and deceptive narratives of this world, His promises are not hollow. He fulfills them. Antioch, receive this story and this Jesus. May you be rooted and firm in the faith. May you have strength to make it through this day. And by God's grace, may you feel so secure and so valued and so free that you overflow with thankfulness. Amen.